Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God is the government of God. That's what Christ came preaching, the government of God. In other words, it's the kind of government that God has instituted for mankind. It's not a corporation like many of the governments today. It's not a government that is ruled by rulers. It's a government that's ruled by God. Now, in order to be ruled by God... The people need to have God in their hearts and in their minds because the government of God is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But it only is really a government of God if the people are letting God write upon their hearts and their minds. That's the nature of God. I mean, Jesus came and spoke to the Pharisees And said, I'm going to take the kingdom of God, the government of God. Same thing. From them. That's what Christ came preaching. And appoint it to other men. Now the kingdom of God at that time was Judea. Remember all the Israelites had formed a government with a king. And they were warned against that. And a king is just somebody who can exercise authority one over the other. It's a... It's as somebody who is the chief executive, executor of the rule of government in a particular nation, a people, in a society of people. And that's the chief executive officer would be the king in some places, the prime minister in some places, the president in some places. He is the first citizen. He gets to exercise authority. Now people write constitutions to limit that authority. So that, that that guy who is supposed to exercise a certain amount of authority doesn't begin to go crazy exercising too much authority and go beyond what the people have elected him to do. He has limitations and that's what the Constitution is supposed to do. Of course now if people don't pay any attention to the Constitution or they alter the Constitution or or like what's happened much in America, they have taken the contract clause in the Constitution and contracted with agencies of the government and with people who are not even agencies of the government and therefore have, because of the the government has to not impede the enforcement of contract, the people have gone into bondage again. Now, a lot of people in America want to think, oh, we're not in bondage. But the people in, in Egypt were in bondage because they had to give 20% of their labor every year to the government. One-fifth of their labor belonged to the government. It's not really slavery as we think of it. I mean, the word slavery has several different definitions. It is a form of slavery, but we don't usually call it slavery. We call it servitude. And the French have a word for it, which is used internationally, called corvi. It's where you owe part of your labor. You owe it. You have to pay it. It's in a contract. Where you owe part of your labor 
to the government to support the public uh, through that government. So it gives power to the public to redistribute the the funds and sources and and resources that come from the people. The government has the power to redistribute that. And because it's contractual, they have the power to enforce that. They can make you serve 20% of your labor, give 20% of your labor to the government. Now, in Egypt, they, they could do that lots of ways. They could actually pay money into the government, and then they didn't have to go work. But the average guy didn't have the money to pay out, or he didn't make enough to pay out. So he had to actually go on work projects in Egypt. And he would work on those work projects in Egypt, you know, building something or building the dikes that they built, the, the uh, dams that they did, the aqueducts that they did to irrigate massive amounts of land. They actually did the same thing in northern India way back before the time of Abraham. They had large public works funded by the labor of the people that was compelled because they had entered into this core V-type relationship where part of their labor belonged to the state. Now, when Joseph set that up and his brothers went into bondage and all the people of Egypt went into bondage in this type of bondage, this statutory system of forced labor, uh, which is, you know, the payment of that labor is called tribute. That's uh, And there are different words that you can find in Hebrew for it, and we've gone through all that, and you can read our literature on that. We show you the actual words and the opinions of scholars that that's what the, this means. But he, uh, uh, Joseph put a statutory limit that it was not to ever be more than that one-fifth. So this is why just when Mubarak was still president of uh, Egypt before America funded a rebellion there, they, uh, I mean, there were other people funding it as well, the Islamic uh, extremists and everything, but definitely they had the support through the CIA for that revolution that ousted Mubarak. Not that he wasn't corrupt. I know people who knew Mubarak, but he was, but... That doesn't mean that the new guys aren't corrupt, too. It's kind of like uh, Khomeini and all the guys that took over. They're they're raking off the same kind of money that the Shah raked off. They're still putting people through torture chambers, just like the Shah did. Uh, maybe even more so than the Shah did. And they're certainly oppressing their people as much as the Shah did. But uh, it's just a change of regime. And the reason why... Changing from the Shah to Khomeini didn't really make a lot of difference. It is somebody else is holding the torture stick is because the people didn't change. You know, before governments will change, men must change. In order for men to change, they have to realize that the state of the government is the problem that comes about because of the state of your hearts and the state of your minds. Until you repent, Think differently. That's what repentance is. The tyrants will continue to seize power. And we've seen that uh, lately. A lot of people don't want to think about it. But the reality is the government made everybody go to their homes. In order to make them feel good about that, that they've actually accomplished something, they said, if you don't go to your home, people will die. 
because there's this bizarre thing called the coronavirus. Well, we spent two hours this morning showing you that the coronavirus has a far less death rate than the average flu, which is what uh, Fauci and, and the advisors were saying to begin with. But somehow they got over into this deal where we're going to ooze, uh, smooth the curve. And, uh, and of course, to some degree, they may have smoothed the curve a little bit, but the reality is probably most of the people in the United States, and you could almost say this for the world, but I don't, you know, there's a lot of different countries out there, but we know that the virus was showing up way down in, uh, Brazil and Argentina and, and Nigeria, South Africa, that's pretty far reaching because everybody moves around so much. And the fact is that 90, 80 to 90% of the people who get this virus don't show any symptoms because they're getting over it. They just don't get that sick. The body, because it's in the lungs, the body is designed to readily repel invaders in the lungs because that's where, that's where stuff gets in. Bacterias get in. So your immune system really focuses on the lungs. So most of the people who got this got over it with either no symptoms at all or minor symptoms. And nobody's counting those people. We know now that that's the case. Studies in Oxford, studies in New York at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital where they have uh, created machines. And there are people creating this all over the place. Somebody recently wrote the government, why aren't we doing this? And they said, well, we have ordered universities to start working on a way to create a machine that, you know, can synthesize blood, because it has to be a blood test to find the antibodies, to determine if somebody is already immune. Like they ordered them. I can tell you uh, microbiologists, virologists, epidemiologists who are working at the university and our teams at the university, as soon as this virus was mentioned, as soon as the news was out that it existed, they were already working on this. This is what they do. This is, they live for this. It's like, you know, I was a firefighter uh, for the Forest Service, the State Forest Service in Minnesota, and we were all sitting around listening to the radio. I mean, the radio calls for from our dispatch. And uh, it was just a break time. Well, I think it was lunchtime, actually. It might have been a break. But all of a sudden, the call came over the radio uh, that... Actually, I wasn't sitting in the room, but I have a visual image of this because I was the guy on the radio <laughs> calling this in. Because I had gone out, because we heard that there was a smoke, and I got out there and I said, you know, called headquarters right away when I come out and come out of the woods and could see the smoke. And I said, yes, we have fire burning in such and such a swamp, and there are at least seven different locations of the front, which meant somebody was going along starting this fire. And then I clicked off the mic so I could hear the other mic, and I could hear chairs being knocked over and people running through the door, <laughs> heavy foot boots running out the hallway, <laughs> so over the radio. And so I think I think they got the message anyway. But the reality is, is, as soon as these guys heard that there was a virus, they were working on this. They had machines by March first in, in 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 Japan, in Hong Kong, in New York. 
in Oxford, and they were testing those machines already, putting blood in and testing to see if they could find it, it. It takes six minutes on some of these machines, and you have an answer back whether this person had, and it will tell you whether it has antibodies, whether they have the disease. And they were testing them, and they were finding out that everybody had already had the disease. More than half of the people they were testing already had the disease and were already producing antibodies. And many of them never even knew they were sick. We know way back from the beginning, have letters from Fauci himself saying they knew that a large number of the people were asymptomatic. means they showed no symptoms whatsoever. And their natural God-given bodies had gone in and pharmaceutically inside their body produced antibodies and were already making these people immune to the disease. That's that's where your salvation is in, is in the body that God gave you. And God will write upon your heart and your mind and protect you if you listen to all of his commandments. Now, am I saying if you're a good boy that you won't die? No. Most of the people who die from this already have serious, serious problems and are headed towards that great divide. And this may push them over. Like I say, 300,000 people die from obesity every year. Obese people are very much in danger from this virus. If an obese person dies of the virus, they blame it on the virus. Not on the fact that they were obese. If uh, someone who is a chain smoker all of his life dies of this, they don't blame it on the fact that he smoked for 50 years. They blame it on the virus. And so the virus killed them. Well, no. Actually, the smoking and obesity killed them. Uh, diabetics are in danger. But diabetics can do a lot of things besides pump insulin into themselves. If they go eat anything they want and then just pump insulin in, they will become insulin resistant. That's really bad for somebody who gets this virus. So there's things that they could have done. So who killed them? The virus or their foolishness? Or their sloth and avarice? Well, when tyranny comes, everybody will blame everything on the tyrant. It's the tyrant's fault. No, there's a void in this country. And nature abhors, abhors a vacuum. This is no longer a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You no longer take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity like we used to do 150 years ago. You don't do that anymore. You have negated your responsibility to be a government of and for and by the people. You have turned all the reins of government over to the state and federal governments or to the parliament. They're the ones that are supposed to... That's why you hear people crying out, the government needs to do more. You need to do more. But most of you don't know what to do. If you went to your churches, they just say, well, kneel down and we'll pray. But that's not what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is supposed to be the benefactors of the people so that the people do not have to go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You're doing that. 
massively, by millions and millions, even billions of people. You know, I heard the president of the Philippines said, if you don't abide by this curfew, you will be shot. Wow, that's saving lives. This curfew, this, uh, you know, retaining people in their homes, this is going to kill people. It is killing people already. Suicide rates are going up. I have this as inside information from the government itself. They're seeing more suicides. They don't want to tell everybody because they don't want to get more people committing suicides. But And certainly in the way that many of them are doing it. They don't want to give anybody ideas. And I understand that. But the reality is this shutdown is killing people. It's people. Somebody said, but if we save one life, well, like I said this morning, 300,000 people will die of obesity this year. We should be out there policing you know, and arresting fat people who are ordering a second piece of pie. We should have guards at the teller so that when they're buying groceries, if they're buying too many fattening foods, we we say, no, you can't buy this. We ration it because you're overweight. And people say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, wait a minute. How is that ridiculous? If we save one life, it's worth it, right? No, that's nonsense. Somebody's not thinking things through. They don't understand how societies work. That's, they have, this is why they're so easily led about with a limbing mentality. God gave you a mind to think with. So we showed you the statistics, what's really going on, who's dying, what the actual death rate is, and, you know, the best calculation that comes up to 0.0001. The regular flu is 0.1. But they're not telling you that because they're, the calculations they show you are not the same calculations. They're showing estimated cases against cases. That's not going to give you an accurate figure. And they knew that from the beginning. But the CDC and the World Health Organization fed those statistics out to the people like they were comparing apples and apples. So you have to realize that you're being deceived, you're being led, you're being stimulated by fear and anxiety. In reality, rather than bankrupt your neighbor and and put your children and your neighbor's children under a crushing debt forever, which is what happened in Egypt, you should be saying, we'll take our chances. And the reality is not that big of a chance. Now, certainly you can isolate the elderly people and the sick people and anybody who's overweight and been a smoker all their life. They can go and isolate themselves. If they have any friends, their friends can bring them food. And they can wash their hands and wear a mask and all those kinds of things. But it's, it's crazy what people are doing and what people think they ought to do. They shouldn't be doing this. So, what is really going on? Since Fauci knew and stated so, the experts knew and stated so that at the beginning of this, Fauci was saying this isn't any worse than the common flu. He was absolutely right. Why did he roll back? Why did uh, Neil Ferguson, who gave these outlandish estimates of the death rates, millions in America, 500,000 in Great Britain, roll that 500,000 back to 20,000 or far less. Why did he do that? He told us why. 
But the very next day he rolls, or almost the next day, he rolls it back up. And he says, well, it would have been that much except for the fact that we're quarantining, social distancing. Meanwhile, you've lost all your rights. You don't have any more rights. And they're actually shooting people or threatening to shoot people in other countries. And why are they pulling out the military? It doesn't make any sense except for the fact there's something else going on here. Now, exactly what it is, I have people in our network and in our sub-networks trying to find out. And bits and pieces are coming together. Now, just reading the stuff in the news that you can check, go read that 800-page bill that just passed recently in Congress that is going to give $2 trillion to help out with the crunch, the economic crunch that is coming from this shutdown. It's not coming from the virus. It's coming from the shutdown. We had beds, and we could have beds galore. Most hospitals are not overcrowded. Most of them have no rush. There's nobody. You can see videos where nobody is out there trying to get tested. There there are empty beds in hospitals all across the country. A few hot spots like... uh, uh, New York and California and Florida. And there's reasons for those hot spots where they have more. But the beds in the hospitals were limited by federal law. That's why they don't have enough beds. Because the government was controlling things already that they should not be controlling. But they think they have a right to control that because you signed up for Medicare and Medicaid. And if they put too many beds in the hospital, more people will go into the hospital to get all kinds of surgeries, and it will be a drain on Medicare and Medicaid, so they restricted the number of beds. Which makes you less safe, but it saves them money. Well, the reality is that is the sign of government-controlled health care. People are worried about, oh, we don't want government-controlled health care because it will we'll end up looking like Canada with long waiting lists. Why do you have long waiting lists in Canada? Because you have government controlled. Why is medicine so expensive in America? Government controls. And because of you. I said this this morning, that you could have brought the prices down in medicine if you had gotten together like Christ commanded and come as a united front and tell the hospitals, we want to know what things are going to cost. You have to publish, just like any other business, You have to, you know, when you go to the store and you're going to buy something, they have a label on the shelf that says, oh, this is $1.50. If you get up to the teller and the teller rings up $3, you say, wait a minute, you have a label back there that says $1.50. And it says, no, well, that's just the, you know, our price is actually $3. We didn't tell you about that. That's just kind of, we just want you to come and pay that. I, I took, my wife went to the hospital once years ago uh, when we had one of our children and and uh, they said certain things were free and oh we won't charge for that the bill was astronomical for us in those days and I, I went over it line by line and I actually went into the hospital and I went over it with their manager and I said you guys said this was free well that's free but this over here costs money when you get that so th- you can't get this without paying this money then this is not free and then you say, oh, you know, like when they gave us that little, that that was one of the prime examples. It wasn't what drove the bill up. I could go into all that. It was just ridiculous. It was crazy. They were just padding the bill with every little thing. 
that you turned around on, but they they give you this little like promo thing. It's full of like Johnson and Johnson baby shampoo and a couple of diapers and it's all things that you might use and they are given it for free by those manufacturers to promote their product. It's they're just sample, little sample things. They charge they put dollar charge on those things, a dollar fifty for those little tiny shampoo things. That they got for free. I know they got it for free because I know people that work in these hospitals. This is the power of a network. But they charge a dollar fifty for it for they got it for free and all the little items in there they tagged on prices. They got it all for free, but they're charging you. Like I said, that didn't drive up the bill, it was all the other things they did, but that's the same principle. Where they pad the bill and pad the bill and pad the bill. And then, like I said, I have somebody who went and they were given prices from the hospital for these tests. And then when they went in to get the test, they were double that. What was that all about? And they finally admitted, well, they weren't supposed to give those prices out. So what are those prices? Well, that's actually what it costs. That's what we charge the doctors is what we find out later on. But if you come in off the street and want the test, we charge you double or three times or four times that charge. Well, if you had all gotten together as a people outraged to the hospital, you could have gone down there and said, we care about, I'm not in the hospital now. I'm not probably going to go to the hospital, but I care about my neighbor. But see, you're out of the habit of caring about your neighbor. You know your neighbor's getting screwed. I can give you example after example after example where the courts have done this and uh, hospitals have done this and and other businesses have done this. But if you were together as a united front, you'd just have to show up and say, we don't want to see you do this, and they would stop. But no, you want the government to come in and do what you should be doing. You want the government to force the hospital to to publish their prices. And that that's great, but the government's going to be more powerful when you're done. You want the government to fix this problem. Like the government says, well, we ordered the hospitals to start you know, working on this testing equipment. They were already doing it before the government even knew that you could make such a thing. And they were already using it in tests. And like I said, in, in both England and the United States, they were discovering that Everybody's already had this. And now, now six months from now or a year from now, I can go back and do a study and analyze the data. Or if I had enough money coming in, I would set somebody on this. I mean, we work 16, 17 hours a day. We have a few ministers that really work hard. We have some ministers that work a little bit. We have some ministers don't even show up for a weekly phone call. They're not doing their job. And, and, you know, some ministers are challenged by this because it's very difficult and they have to make a living because none of our ministers are paid. None of us get a salary. This We're showing you the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that voluntary government that produces a free society. But in order to have a voluntary government that produces a free society and sustains that free society, you have to volunteer. I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to be a motivational speaker that says, now let's all do right, you know. Let's go out and do one for Jesus. You have to find the motivation in your heart because I don't want to be writing on your heart and your mind. I want God to be writing on your heart and your mind. You see the difference? 
You can't have a free society. I just talked to a government official today. And, you know, they're trying to get together and do something about the draconian rules that are coming down and squeezing the life out of this economy. And and they see that, you know, they stopped them. They were going to curtail agriculture. And they stopped them from doing that. Now, that you know, in Vermont, they had a rule that came down. I heard about it last night that uh, Walmart and a number of other stores throughout the it's actually Vermont, New Jersey, Virginia, and I guess several other states were supposedly told that they could, they had to close their gardening department, no longer sell seeds, no longer sell onion sets and potatoes and things like that, no longer sell plants from nurseries because that's all unessential. Meanwhile, in Oregon, they're making dairy farmers and probably in California pour out milk. Because they supposedly lack certain chemicals to finish putting the milk together and all this kind of stuff. For years, people have wanted to start dairy and sell raw milk to people who wanted to buy it. And they were arresting them and throwing them in jail. And so they put those people out of business all across the country. I've, I haven't hardly drank milk unless it was raw milk. Uh, we don't have a cow that's coming fresh, but I have a son and daughter-in-law that they have our old cow, <laughs> and it's coming fresh. And they just bought another little dairy heifer from a dairy that's going out of business because of the draconian controls of the government. People say, oh, we don't want to be like Venezuela, but you're becoming like Venezuela, and you're headed for food shortages. Now, if I go out and say that on mass media, people will go out there and hoard it in the stores. Like I said, if you're running out of the store with four roll, four bags of toilet paper, 24 uh, rolls in a bag, you're not a Christian. Because you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You're going to clean those shelves off. There was no shortage of toilet paper. People were still manufacturing it. But you are going to clean it off. And then you create shortages for other people. But you don't care about them. You only care about you doing the same thing with flour and the same thing with bread and the same thing with everything else. Now, the reality is, is that because you've shut down the restaurants and the governor in the state of Oregon wants to stop them from doing curbside service, which is the only thing that's keeping them afloat. We've actually ordered things for the restaurant. We never go to the restaurant because we we cook our own food. But we've actually, for other young kids and stuff as a treat, we ordered things from the restaurant just to give them some business. But they're still losing tens of thousands of dollars because they're also a motel. And nobody's in the motels. And when the festivals come up this summer, millions upon millions and millions of dollars in revenue and income will be lost to people forever. They will have to depend upon their savings or borrow money to stay afloat. And borrowing money from the government isn't much better than borrowing it from the bank. And the reality is that whatever the government gives you, they're just borrowing from your children. You're cursing your children with debt. Why? Because you haven't been doing what Jesus said. You're going to church and they're not telling you the truth about the kingdom. If you want to know the truth about the kingdom, listen to all our other 300, 400 audios that will explain it to you. Go to our website at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and read 
what we've written down. We show you what the kingdom was and how it works. And then you have to start thinking. But you can't, but many people can't even begin to think now because they're all afraid of this virus. So we spend a lot of time, we have a page at Preparing You, the coronavirus, that shows you this coronavirus is nothing. It's it's no different than the common flu. You know, uh, more people are going to die from apple pie. <laughs> Not just apple pie, but overeating. 300,000 deaths this year from obesity, from their diet, from eating the wrong foods in the wrong amounts and not getting proper exercise. You know, I've I've known of guys 400 pounds. I mean, I I didn't know him personally. 400 pounds. When he goes to get in a semi-truck, the truck, actually, you can see it tipping because he was so heavy, over 400 pounds. He changed his diet, and he was down, and he could run, play ball with his kids. Then he got off that diet, and he went right back up. And then he found out that there's an emotional element to staying in the right weight, keeping a good health. And he went back down because he went back on his diet. And the and the fact is, is that many, you know, things can be solved with proper diet and get you healthy, proper exercise, proper sleep, and proper relationships. Relationships based on love, not fear. Relationship, you know, one of the things that I see in, in the I Hate Trump Club is this hate. It, it's... it's it's motivating them. They're motivated by hate. They cannot, you cannot see clearly if you're motivated by hate. I don't, I didn't agree with everything that Trump does. I didn't agree with everything Obama did. I don't agree with everything, uh, any president did. Ronald Reagan, Eisenhower, uh, certainly JFK, uh, all these guys. They all did things that, but I didn't hate them. I knew some of them were totally dishonest and, and criminal and corrupt and immoral. But I don't have to hate them. I leave judgment to God. I will stand against the immorality and the lies and, and the deceptions, but I don't have to hate them. That's a huge difference, and it gives you a tremendous power. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I could tell you stories of facing 200 people full of hate and they all just backing away and I, did, I was unarmed skinny little guy and they wanted to do something to me and they couldn't touch me if I hated them they would have beat the <laughs> daylights out of me but you that's the but now you have to do that as a body you have to gather together as a body not driven by hate not driven by resentment, but driven by love. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because you care about them as much as you care about yourself. Not just those that you gather with. You can't just love those who love you. But you have to even love your enemy. Wow. That's quite a challenge. To love your enemy. Do you think you can do that? Do you think you can manage that? Do you think that's possible to do? Well, we'll see. Because if you don't do it, you're in a lot of trouble. So, anyway, uh, go to that coronavirus page. I've been 
we've been cleaning up not just me. Evidently, I found out today that uh, one of our, at least one of our other ministers, have been checking it pretty regularly. And like I, I, I do a full day's work, eight, nine, ten hours. I have to do, you know, five, six hours of research, sometimes more, and then I end up having to go out and work even harder and faster so I can get back and do more research. And but things were breaking so fast, and there was so much misinformation out there that uh, I couldn't keep up with it without losing too much sleep. But last night, I finally I went to bed at midnight, but that's early for me because I was just exhausted. And I, it's happened a couple of times. And I've already had the coronavirus, I'm pretty sure. I didn't go and get tested. But the test, like I said, that they give doesn't really tell you. And they won't even give you the test unless you're really sick, which is how they've created the illusion of a high death rate. Because they say, oh, look, at we tested, you know, a thousand people, uh, and we are confirmed cases, and this many people died. And it's still only like 0.3, as opposed to 0.1, 0.34, which is still not as high as a lot of other viruses like SARS and stuff, which are kind of bogus figures anyway. But for reasons I explained on this morning's show, if you want to hear the morning show, join the network. And we will make it available to everybody as it comes out. The reality is this is important to understand that what they've been telling you is not true. They're either liars or deceive themselves or incompetent, but it's not true. It's not actually what's happening. Something else is happening. And so I got into that a little bit this morning. I touched on it. You know, you, we're borrowing $6 trillion, not $2 trillion. $2 trillion is supposed to come to you. $4 trillion goes to the bankers to keep them supported. And they're interest-free loans. That appears that the president ordered the Federal Reserve to make those loans. Or somehow twisted their arm to make those loans interest-free. Now, of course, this may eventually lead to all kinds of inflation, but hopefully if the economy gets going again, we might be able to ward that off. But you're going to have to do a lot more than what we've been doing. And I don't think the government can do it. Because before governments will change, men must change. And I don't care how much you love Trump, that's just as dangerous as hating him. Is to love him without thinking. You have to hold him to high standards. And we see this... I just talked to people about it again in the government here in Oregon. The governor is not legally the governor of Oregon. Easily proved in less than five minutes. We have a webpage, Article 2, Section 22, that shows you the governor has already forfeited her office. She doesn't have any right to the office. And all these commands and executive orders are null and void. And any appointments that she made are literally null and void because she has no right to the office. That's the law. That's in the Constitution. That's not some statute passed by the legislature. This is passed by the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. The people put this in the Constitution of Oregon, and everybody who's in the government of Oregon is sworn to abide by it, but more than half of them are not doing so. And they're getting away with not doing so because their constituents say, yeah, but I like him. He's really a nice guy. So I'm not going to enforce the Constitution. I'm not going to obey the Bible that says to read and enforce those rules that you make for your leaders every day. They're not doing that. 
They think they're Christians, but they're not doing that. And so the governor, who's not the governor, gets to reign as if she's the governor, and she's threatening martial law and shutting down. She's going to forbid the restaurants to even have curbside service. Now, people in government, senators and congressmen and other members of government in Oregon, are thinking that they're going to have a showdown with the governor. The showdown they should be having is that the governor is not the governor. Now, I'm telling you this to show you what a mess you've made of things because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've been trying to create your own rulers. Now, what did the Bible tell you that when you wanted to have a ruler that could exercise authority, they warned you that that ruler would take and take and take and take and take and take and rule over you and force your children to do what they want and make their, their your children their slaves. And you're going to cry out. Well, right now I'm just telling you, you need to repent and start thinking differently and start holding, you know, making your yeses yes and making them stick by their yeses and making them stick by their oaths. And you have to have principles. And that's because you haven't been practicing real righteousness. People got self-righteousness down pat. They got that. But real righteousness they don't have. Because real righteousness would say, wait a minute. I like you, I think you're a great guy, but you didn't keep your word, you broke the rule. The rule is this. And you didn't abide by that rule, so you have to step down from your office. Now, of all those guys that are broken that rule, which is most of Congress and the Senate in the state of Oregon, got together and said, you're right, we need to, in order to hold the governor to this constitution, we are going to have to buy buy it. Instead of just jumping out the window and running down the street when a vote comes up that you don't like, you go and say, look, we're going to have to step down, and the governor has to step down too, because that's the law. And you force the hand of the government and the governor. Now, in many cases, in many offices, when they step down, they can they can appoint a replacement. I don't know if they can get away with this because they really don't have, they have forfeited the office, so how can they appoint the replacement for the office? So theoretically, it may bring about some chaos. But the reality is, is that what, that chaos can be overcome if the people start taking back their responsibilities. It doesn't mean that there'll be mass killings in the street or anything. Everybody knows pretty much what their job is. You know, it's like down at a local mill. They had a guy who was just bossing everybody around and he was kind of not liked. He was the head of that department and finally he went away for two weeks. I don't know if it was vacation or what, but he was gone for two weeks. Everybody in the mill worked really hard and they outproduced any other two weeks of the year while he was gone just to make him look bad. They know what their job is. This government, this nation was great, not because of the government, but because of the people. But you need to get organized from the bottom up instead of from the top down. Stop looking at the top for your solution. And those of you up there at the top, start respecting the wishes and rights of the people. Start getting together with the people. And and there's going to be a learning curve because there's going to be a lot of people that want to get involved in this and they're still selfish. 
They have to change. Your minds have to change. Your hearts have to change. You don't do it for what you can get. But you can do it for, you know, what did JFK? JFK was the first one to try to stop the Federal Reserve. I mean, really stop it. I mean, you can go back to the idea of having a national bank like the Federal Reserve and everything. has been around for a long time. There's been plenty of other presidents who opposed it. Lincoln had problems with it. I could go through a lot of the presidents were opposing it. There were some for it. You know, I think Hamilton thought it was kind of a good idea, but Hamilton had a lot of bad ideas. But the reality is, is that it's here. And it is a major source of our problems. But it isn't the Federal Reserve by itself. It's our apathy and avarice and ignorance. We can do this another way. I don't know if there's the will and the people to do it, but the thing is you don't need everybody to go along with this. We've we've laid out and we can show you. We're not going to explain it on the radio because it's not given unto you to know. But if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we will teach your ministers and they will teach you. And then once you know, it will be a knowledge in the body of Christ, in the whole body of Christ. But... It's what Jesus was doing because that was the same system now. I mean, Rome was a republic and it went to an indirect democracy and that's what you're at now. And now your rulers have more power than it was ever intended for them to have. And when something like a little virus comes along, everybody's looking to the government to solve the problem, to be their salvation. God gave you the salvation from this virus. He showed you what to do. But you don't know it. You haven't been learning it because you've been looking in the wrong direction. You need to turn around. You need to find out what's really going on. And so if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, how in the world are you going to confront evil? Now, you can do it on an individual basis. But you need to do it. because That's why if you love God, then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's the second commandment of Jesus Christ. In order to love your neighbor, you have to come together with your neighbor. You have to gather together and show that love. And showing that love is not dictating some doctrine. Love is a lot simpler than that. You know, people say, why do we make it so complicated? We make it really simple. But life gets complicated. So I say, no, you have to take care of one another. Well, how do you do that? Well, that gets complicated. But the principle is simple. You know, and it gets more complicated because we have to do it in the midst of tyranny. Because we already have tyranny. You just haven't felt the full weight of the boot yet. But it's coming. And I'm not against government. Government's there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The slothful, apathetic, avaristic people of the world who love to engage in covetous practices instead of the righteous practices of Christ. They are content at living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others because that's what you're doing. The money that's going to come from the government, it's not, you people said, well, I paid into unemployment. I have a right to unemployment. That money you paid into is eaten up the first day. That's gone. 
The money you're going to get now in unemployment is clearly coming. That's what they're telling you on the news, but you're not putting the facts together because you're just thinking about yourself. That money is coming from the future of your children because they're borrowing that money to pay you that workman's comp today. You don't want workman's comp. Now, I'm not telling you can't get it, but I'm telling you that that's the cheese. Those loans that they want to give your small businesses, and many of them realize that that's cheese in a trap of debt. You don't want that. But just knowing that isn't going to do you any good. The kingdom of God is the alternative to the tyranny of the world. And if you pursue the kingdom of God, that's what Jesus said, that's what John the Baptist said, that's what all the prophets have said, to seek the kingdom of God, pursue the kingdom of God, which includes the righteousness of God, which would include, therefore, loving your neighbor as yourself. You just don't know how to do that yet. And you're not being taught in your fake churches. I have to say fake churches, because they're not... If you're not preaching the whole gospel... You're not preaching the gospel. You're preaching something less than the gospel. That's this, that's this basic common sense logic, reality. That's one thing Christ was, was logical and real. So anyway, we need to take a break. Uh, actually, what are we at now? Did I look at the time wrong or did we set the time? <laughs> Oh my gosh, we had a lot of fun here. We just went right by. <laughs> so anyway, I I was going to go a little bit into the world health. I, I I took a bunch of notes. I had them on my phone, but my phone is in the other room. <laughs> and so I don't have them in front of me. I do have other notes that I could go over about the coronavirus. But you really, you know, we had somebody who thinks that he studied the Bible. I studied the Bible. I know all about the Bible. He, he has a whole webpage and he, he badmouths us on his webpage. And there's a couple of guys that do this. But there was one in particular, a Polish guy somewhere in the Midwest. I just know he's Polish because of his last name. And he was saying, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says to form a network. Well, I thought, like, what? Yeah, nowhere does Jesus talk about forming a network. Well, we know historically that the church was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's where you get words like deacon, really, because it comes from decim, which has, which is a similar word in Greek and in Latin, which means ten. Yeah, it became known as a minister or a servant, but it's a servant of ten. And that's, the word originally came from the same word as ten, because that's the way they organized themselves thousands of years before Christ. All the way back to the days of Nimrod. Nimrod organized the people into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But Nimrod did it from the top down. You didn't get to choose what ten group you were with. He told you. He he appointed the officers of your nation from the top down. And your officers that he appointed had authority over the people. But Christ didn't do that. He appointed his church. His called out. But he forbid them to exercise authority one over the other. 
But they were still to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that's what Christ commanded. And this guy has studied the Bible for years, decades, and he didn't know that Christ commanded that the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands, organize themselves in that tens, hundreds, and thousands, or there wasn't going to be any loaves and fishes. And so if you're not going to organize yourself into the tens, hundreds, and thousands, there's not going to be any loaves and fishes for you. So even though we see, you know, Walmart was told that they weren't allowed to sell garden supplies and seeds and all that stuff. Now, I just recently through the network got information that Walmart has now issued a letter that they said they misinterpreted the law. And so they will be doing that. To what extent, I don't know yet. But I can tell you this, that that kind of stuff is affecting meat markets are going to be terribly affected. Ranchers are being driven out of business by cartels in the meat processing area. We've known that for months now, and supposedly your public servants are working on it. Some are working hard. Others are, like, stifling the progress in that area. But it's certainly a cartel that's making millions upon millions of dollars, yet driving the ranchers out of business. Same way with a lot of other things. Because we don't have a free market in America. They are controlling the market. And a lot of the market that I see that they're controlling is the market that feeds you. So I mentioned this morning, communities supported agriculture. You need to get a hold of your farmer. And the best way to do that, in my personal opinion, is to join a network like what Christ said to do. And when I say join the network, you're not going to be a member of the network. You don't become a member. You're not a person to us. You're an individual to us. If you join the United States system of social welfare through force, you're a person. And you can be a person to them. To us, you will always be an individual. And there's a transition here. You need to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For when the unrighteous mammon fails, you will be suitable for more righteous habitations. Well, that's what the kingdom of God is, a more righteous habitation. And when they had plagues going through Europe early on in the first few hundred years of of uh, the church thousands died tens of thousands died but tens of thousands lived and uh, many people it says the histor- historians seem to all agree began to become Christians real Christians not Constantinian Christians real Christians because they saw the Christian way the way of Christ was a better way. But it's a way based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. It's not based on force and fear and fealty, which is the way the world operates. Which is why if you don't obey them, they get to shoot you. If you, you know, like I said, right to a speedy trial, gone with this virus. And they stipulated in there that even after the the uh, emergency virus quarantine is over, they still can wait a year before they give you a trial or more. And then when you get a trial, it may be by video, not in a courtroom. 
So you're detained for a year or more, two years, whatever. You finally get your trial. You don't even sit in the same courtroom with the judge or the witnesses or the jury. You're still in your cell watching it on video. How is that American jurisprudence? How is that even voiced out of the mouths of people? We have lost, we have become savages, civilized savages. Now you're, you can't change the world, but you can be changed by following the way. The way, that's what Christianity was called, the way. And the way is where people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and love their neighbors as themselves and even love the stranger in their midst and and the somebody on the other side of the network of Christ that you've never even met. You care about them. When they sent relief from Jerusalem to other places or from Galatia to Corinth, the people in Galatia didn't know the people in Corinth. But they knew they were in the network of Christians that spread all the way to the Celts in Northern Ireland and beyond. Up into Norway. Up into Sweden. They were up there. Now because it's a free society, you'll get lots of versions of Christianity. But don't unmoor the rituals from the righteousness. We are not trying to form new rituals. It can be counters of days. We want to be righteous and righteous according to the terms of God, which are very clear. So that's where you want to go. That's where you want to head. That's where you want to be. And if you, if you gather together with us, you can help us learn those ways and teach us those ways. Like I said, somebody's been fixing a lot of my typos, and I didn't even know it. It sounded a little impatient when he told me. <laughs> but I've had to add to this constantly because things are constantly coming to light. But the next phase, that's something you might be concerned about. But until then, join the network, and peace on your house, and may God be with you. And I see all the listeners that came at least that I see on the board. Thanks for coming. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.